0: Be
1: continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
0: Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone. I am sitting in sunny California in the studio of my next guest who just happens to have a podcast herself which made it highly convenient for me because I get to just literally borrow her equipment and record this like the little invader that I am. Please welcome Miss Alexis Haynes. Hi. Hi (laughs) hun. Okay so we didn't even plan on doing this so this podcast is going to be honestly a genuine conversation I think between the two of us. I was on Alexis's um wow that's hard to say Alexis is yeah um, I know
1: it's wh- when ooh. you're a kid growing up and you're like wait how do I apostrophe S this <laughs> right <laughs> um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: It's like Thomas. I always, Thomas is a hard one yeah. too. It's Thomas. Thomas is. Thomas is. is. Thomas is. is. Anyways, <laughs> I was on her podcast called Recovering from Reality um, back a few months ago. And that's yeah. kind of the first time that she had shown up on my radar. And let me tell you, immediately she, she writes me and she says, I would like to have you on my podcast. So I was like, okay, who the heck is this chick? Let me Google her. And then it was like, I couldn't believe what i just opened up because (laughs) i remembered you i remembered you from the news and that is so crazy so i'm gonna let you tell your story because i think likely People know who you are, but they just got, haven't gotten to know who you are now, now. which is like the and most special part. And with the new last, name, new last name because yeah. I'm married. new last name. Yeah. So kind of give us your origin story. I know you've probably told the story a million times, but it is like the shock
1: and awe and then the beauty of afterwards. So mm. have at it. Okay. So most people know me through The Bling Ring and Pretty Wild, which was my show on E! back in 2010. And I have one of the most... Um, shared memes of all time. Wait, I don't think I know the still, meme. Well, you're gonna. I'm gonna send you. Just type in Alexis Nyers on your phone oh for my memes. Gosh. Um, like if you're texting or on I'm Instagram. Have to link this on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have this huge meme from having repeated meltdowns on my reality TV show when I was 18 years old, addicted to heroin and living my crazy life in los angeles so that's kind of the gist of what people saw back in 2010 they got that little like snippet into my life um, of me on a reality show addicted to heroin 18 years old fighting for my life in this case for the bling ring but what people don't know is that there was years and years of trauma and abuse that led up to my addiction and to all of that transpiring. And then my current journey, which is eight years sober, um, happily married, two kids, um, co-owner of a drug treatment facility, um, giving back to my community in major ways, and now opening up um, my life for people to see through my Mm. podcast and Instagram and the book that comes out December 3rd. Um, and, and seeing that you can recover, you can recover from incredible amounts of shame, from trauma, from mm-hmm. sexual abuse, early childhood, sexual abuse, eating disorder, uh, physical violence, um, and addiction. And it's like, you can do it. You, and
0: it's so crazy sitting here cause you're such a peace filled woman. You really, <laughs> really are. And I just looked up the meme and let me tell you. I, I've seen it. I know. I know that now. Old, now. you know it. I mostly, that- Im- I, I hate to be the shell. I'm mostly impressed by your brow transformation. Your eyebrows have <laughs> come a long came way a since long 2010. Way. Okay, God. so there are going to be people listening that are like, I don't even know what the bling ring is and oh, what that was. So, okay. Oh, for sure. Because okay. I'm in Canada. So there's a lot of Canadian mm. audience that we heard it in the news. True. So people don't realize that when you're in Canada, we actually get American news. Like we have our mm-hmm. own news, but we mostly see American yeah, news. my husband's
1: Canadian. But I, yeah. oh,
0: so... We didn't actually, I don't know that I necessarily even saw your show when it was on TV because I don't even know that it came up there. But I know of it because obviously Mm -hmm. we pay attention to internet culture and like the whole reality TV thing. But maybe explain what that big, what the bling ring was Yeah, that kind of is going to be that when you talk about you know immense amount of shame from your past like it's yeah. got to be hard to talk about but I also know how much you've owned the story and and have used it to show people what change can look like
1: I must feel like I have to go all the way back because people need to That's know okay. how the bling ring really like how I became involved in that and it- it's not just like a quick and easy answer. So I grew up in LA. Um, my dad was the director of photography on Friends for eight years. What? He did, yeah, I know. You're a big Friends fan. I grew up on the set. Okay, so a lot of running information. Around, for me I like know, that. running around How on many set, of them did in and you out of the, all of them. Oh my um, gosh! And on the set, and I've basically the... touched David Schwimmer at this point. <laughs> so sorry, and it's such a trip I'm at 19 seeing someone from the cast in an AA meeting which is like such a trip all those years later right so I grew up on the set of of friends and my dad was on the nanny and all of those 90s sitcoms him and my mom um had a very by the time I was three and a half they divorced Mm -hmm. my dad was a really bad alcoholic and drug addict he was very violent when he was drunk Mm -hmm. and my mom was this really like you know, tree hugging, pot smoking, hippie chick, and we lived out in the suburbs where we did not fit in at all because this was before yoga was cool and incense yeah. was cool. I remember and when life it was size like, Buddhas it was in the a- house. Everyone thought it was weird yeah, if you were it was like cult. this. Yes, and now everybody has it, and I'm like, oh my god, it's so ironic. Um, So I grew up this 90s child living this really crazy and chaotic life like I said my dad ended up having an affair with a PA Mm -hmm. and my mom found out they got a divorce and it was like a traveling circus we moved all of the time it was really unstable there was incest and sexual abuse that began when I was four years old and went on until I was seven um there was Just like I said, drugs and alcohol and really like no attachments being formed because it was like a free for all. And so by the time that I was in middle school, my dad was physically violent towards me. Um, By the time I was in middle school, I kind of had my first surgery and I had tried pain pills for the first time and my love affair began. It was like the hug that I needed from my parents, the warmth that I always desired and needed from them they brought me so much peace and i remember just thinking as like a 14 13 14 year old kid like i need this whatever this is, this is i need this and then um i entered ninth grade where i had another surgery and i was prescribed vicodin and after that i made it my mission to be loaded on pain pills for the rest of my life that that oh was my it Oh gosh and Um, so, you know, and I was a trash can for drugs, weed, um, uppers, downers, psychedelics, Alcohol. You're talking to the most whatever. square human ever. I've never done anything because I'm like, yeah. so scared. Yeah, so I was not scared at all. I wanted yeah. to check out. I spent my entire life trying to check out of my reality, which is why the podcast is called Recovering from Reality because it's all about. Obviously, it's a funny pun because I had my own reality yeah. show, yeah, of course. but it's like also recovering from life, and we yes. all have baggage and trauma that we need to recover from. But
0: yours is yours is substantial. It's a
1: lot. It's a lot. Which and is when people crazy. hear my story they're almost like a little overwhelmed i feel like at yeah. times because it was a lot in a very in a childhood in a in a very short amount of time and so by the time that um i got gra- i ended up graduating high school at 16 and i left my house with my s- adopted sister Tess to go out and start modeling. That's what my life, you know, I just, I wanted to be a model. My mom was an ex-playmate and model in the 80s. And that's what I really aspired to at the time. So we were doing Kid Rock, uh, Marilyn Manson music videos. My sister was like hooking up with Kid Rock. It was a very crazy time. And we were like not even 18 years old yet. I was 17. She was 18. And of course my addiction took off right but this is like in the time period where it's like fun and partying and no problems and right that's
0: people kind of turn a blind eye is. when they're like that's just your party years yes. yeah
1: yeah well my party years involved like shooting up speedballs and what's a speedball? Coke and Again. heroin together oh, wow. and you know like hanging out with you know crazy celebrities and all of that and which so, that's a very
0: normal thing in that, in, in, like in that group, right? Well, it
1: shouldn't be in LA, but it is. It is, I mean, you yeah. see these 18, 19, 20-year-old girls. I mean, that's when you peak in Hollywood, which is sad. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was
0: even reading a uh, post by Baby Rexa the other day, and she was saying about how a producer told her she was 29, and she's, and too, that's it. she's too old. And
1: she's hot as fuck, and just yeah. beautiful, and so talented. And it's like, all you see me for is like the number of my age, and how, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, get out of here. So I
0: can totally see where, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah so basically we were working um this very low budget film um and one of the producers was like you guys are hilarious we should shoot a sizzle reel which is what you basically shoot to send to different networks and see if any of them kind of bite and it was at this time that i met nick prugo who was the nick prugo and rachel lee were the masterminds of the Mm -hmm. bling ring yes um nick prugo and rachel lee had already been robbing Houses for a long time before I met them. They had done Paris Hilton's house. I think they went in like, I don't know how many times. It was a lot. They stole millions of dollars from her. And I was just this like really. Naive, stupid young girl, and my my sister Tess knew Nick because he grew up in a in a neighboring neighborhood from us, okay, um, Calabasas, and we grew up um a little bit further north in the one o uh, down the one o one, and so I met Nick and we hit it off because we both loved to do drugs and party, mm. and it was just kind of like that. And when you're numbing out,
0: what's robbing a celebrity's house?
1: Yeah, I, it wasn't even um. Yeah, I think that that was probably true for him. And I know that they've done a lot about regarding um, regarding Rachel Lee's like obsession with celebrity. It okay. was kind of like an addiction in its own from what I understand. And I don't want to speak on her behalf. For sure. But there was definitely a lot of dysfunction going on. And so I met them. And then what happened was we ended up getting picked up by E! that June. So I met Nick just in March, two months prior. Um Orlando Bloom's house, which is the house that I was charged with, didn't happen until July. Okay. And um so I I had just signed this like hundred thousand dollar contract with East and um and we were gonna get our show we started filming that fall and so um, you know I've told this story a million times one night I was drunk out with Nick in Hollywood I was staying at his house because my sister and I got kicked out I didn't actually get kicked out but she did and then I was like well if you're leaving then I'm leaving yeah (laughs) you know what I mean and so and she was my drug buddy so it's like you're my connection to all my drugs and everything I need so you know if you're going I'm going so we were out one night and I was like pissed drunk at this point I was also addicted to Xanax so like in a blackout I don't really recall what happened but I do know that um I never talked to Nick again after that night and a couple months later surveillance videos of Audrina Patridge's house and and um and uh uh why can't I think of her name right now? Why is this blanking me? Parent <laughs> trap. Come on. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, Lindsay Lohan. Lohan. Yes. They, so they kept robbing all these houses and these surveillance videos start coming outside so called the cops and I was like, "Oh my god, I know who that is." Yes. And I started reporting. On the second day of filming my show in October, the cops raided my house and came to arrest me. So Nick got arrested through everybody he possibly could under the bus. And I just like to clarify this because I was no Mother Teresa by any means. For sure. Um, I I definitely wasn't. Um, But the way that the media portrayed me because I had my reality show and because Mm -hmm. of bias and misogyny in media still that's present today, I became the face of the bling ring because it wasn't sexy. I was going to say, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, everybody thought that I was involved with every single burglary and that I was charged with all the burglaries. I was charged with one burglary. Um, and, and it ended up saving my life. Yeah. So what happened was I was 18 years old, addicted to heroin and other drugs. And I fought my case on reality TV for millions and millions of people to watch the shit show that transpired for the next nine months. And, um, to say that it wore me down would be an understatement. Um, I ended up taking a plea deal. I went to jail for that summer. Okay. Got out couldn't stay sober cuz i had no resources. Right. Um got arrested again for possession of heroin December 1st 2010 and then the rest is history. Um, i went into treatment. Um the judge Peter Espinoza he ended up saving my life.
0: Isn't that amazing to hear? You, you know, I mean, people that's that's kind of the cool thing when you talk about like crime or you talk about being in court and and these things always sound like You know, so bad and you're sitting here and you're going like this was the best thing that could have happened happened to me me.
1: and I talked about this on another podcast that um, you know obviously when we get newly sober we're plagued with guilt for all of our behavior that has transpired over the last however many years I mean the way that I treated my parents and my family and my friends and the relationships that I had and the things that I was doing in order to get drug money Um, like at the end I was considering prostitution and stripping, Mm -hmm. like it was that bad. And so, um, you know, obviously like my now hindsight, I would never want to hurt anybody ever. However, I have to say, you know, that like, in a weird way like Orlando Bloom did save my life like that moment saved my life and we have to make living amends and this is the way that I do it by helping other people so I just hope that anybody out there who I've harmed that I haven't been able to make an amends to in person which most people I have that they know that that I've taken something that was so bad and turned it into something that's so good I mean I can't take credit for everything that happens at the treatment center or all, you know, all of that. Um, but we're out here doing the work, you know. You are.
0: And <laughs> It's so it's so incredible because I think that when shame happens in our lives, it's so easy to just tuck it under a rug. Yeah. And you're somebody who ripped the rug up and said, here's my dirt yeah. and we're going to talk about it and we're going to deal with it. And I've heard that that is kind of the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping just shoves everything under the rug and peacemaking actually cleans up the mess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, following along since I've gotten to know you and kind of hearing your story, but more just seeing like how it's kind of extended into this incredible, incredible space for those recovering from not only addiction but for mental health and like the amount of trauma that people have gone through I don't think I've ever heard somebody with as much trauma as you just repeated now and I mean that is it's one of those things that you know we can't I don't think that everything happens for a reason I said this not long ago I don't I don't believe everything happens for a reason but I think that we can make good out of everything and I think that's exactly what you're doing um tell us a little bit about what your life kind of looks like now because you talked a little bit about the mental um, health treatment facilities and stuff, but what is it that you actually are doing?
1: Like you and your husband both. Yeah. So um, just to touch base on what you said about shame, like shame can often be really debilitating. And for the first six years of my sobriety, it really was. Mm -hmm. Um, My history was really public, but when my husband, when my daughter started kindergarten last year, I was still trying to keep up with the Joneses and just pretend for her safety like emotionally and stuff in mind that like we were just a normal family that lived out here in the suburbs in this like gated developed community and like that I could just fit in with all of the other moms and I would come up with excuses like I do have IBS so I don't just have all of the trauma. I also have IBS, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, all of these things that I've made it through. Now there through. I can relate to you. you. Know. I also have the IBS. <laughs> IBS brutal. It's literally And the worst. so it's getting better. I'm healing it right now and it is getting better, but it's still challenging. And so I, I would just blame like, oh, I don't drink because I have issues with my gut or I would just right. come up with all of these like things that were white lies to like try to keep myself safe but what kept happening was you know there's these horrible mom groups on in Inst- or on Facebook and um I would someone would post my mugshot in like a group of 5000 women in oh. my community and it didn't happen once it happened three times in multiple groups That is so sad. And the Claws came out and I just got ripped to shreds and there was nothing I can do about it. Like one admin just like left it up there for a full day and there was like something like 960 comments of oh. people that were just like taking, you know, just, just having shots. at it. Yeah. yeah it you was were just, a great target it was, for them. Yeah. And um, so I started to do further work and I feel like people think that getting sober is the easier path and that your life just gets easier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. No. It doesn't. Like, life shows up in very, very, very real ways. I've, like I said, I've had postpartum depression and anxiety. I've had miscarriage. I almost died after my daughter's second delivery. I've had, you know, a C-section. I've had a vaginal birth. I've had marital struggles. I've had personal growth struggles. The difference is that I talked earlier about the desire to check out mm-hmm. and the continuous like need and want to check out. And now my life is about checking in. And it's about how can we be present admit in the in the midst of struggle, of deep emotional pain, of turmoil, mm. of all of these things that we go through in life without needing to turn to a drink or a drug? And so, while getting sober is not necessarily the easier path. Mm -hmm. It's the path that it's worth it because the amount of growth that we have, I mean, I believe that we all come here as spiritual beings to have like some evolutionary experience, right? We're supposed to grow and evolve and have whatever experiences we're supposed to have and Mm -hmm. then we move on, right? And so... If evolution is a part of life, which we know it is because we've evolved to yeah. being humans on this planet, having this, I've experience. evolved just since last week. I'm telling you <laughs> there right you now. Go. Then, then we, then we get to show up for ourselves in very real ways. And I talked on the podcast that we just did in the call in show about Brene Brown, but her yes. work uh, was monumental in me dropping the shame and moving into a space of vulnerability and now building my community around these really hard conversations that we can have. Um, yeah, like they are hard
0: conversations, but it, it is, it's so funny because I was, um, I remember sitting in my therapist's office when I was diagnosed with PTSD and her explaining to me that my trauma had basically just you know, suppress itself inside my brain and that my brain was finally coming to the point of healing and it was releasing all these thoughts and memories. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really hard for me because coming out of that, I have to like, and this is like in a totally different way, but just to relate it back to anybody who maybe hasn't had like these huge traumas and like major checkout experiences but like we check out all the time yes. we check out by just like not having tough conversations we check out when we come home my friend rea talks about this about like not when we come home and we just like turn on netflix and we look at our phones and we check out from digesting the day mm-hmm. and bettering ourselves in that time because we're so used to just i just want to numb out we have normalized and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this but you know, last year I saw this huge movement of mothers kind of talking back on the whole normalization of drinking for motherhood. And I was, at first I was like, what? Like, don't take away my wine, girl. But then I was like, no, I, I, if we're going to talk about this the same way as I also have to relate this to the normalization of diet talk, we've normalized alcohol especially for motherhood and and i say this without trying to induce shame for people because i know there's a lot of jokes and we have a lot of fun with it but understanding that there's some people who are literally numbing out from mm. depression and anxiety that they've just never dealt with and we've made jokes about wine you know I, relating it back to diet culture we talk about weight like it's nothing we talk about diet like it's nothing even though we have like an immense amount of people walking around struggling with eating disorders we're still willing to walk around and talk about our diets openly like they don't affect the people around yeah. us
1: meanwhile people are dying every day from anorexia and they're dying every day from drug overdose too especially it's in incredible. This yeah. yeah
0: it's it, once you kind of get into the stats of everything it, it kind of frightens you you know i read up on anorexia this week um just with the whole kid app, that diet kid app, I wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted the numbers, I wanted the facts, and I wanted to provide them for people. And I went on to the NEDA site, and it talked about how, you know, ninety percent of eating disorders come out from a diet, and they're all in like children's ages. Like they start at like age twelve is like the most common age, and that ten percent of those people die within the ten years after they've started suffering and 20 percent die within 20 years so I was like this isn't this is life or death like this is actually apparently out of the mental illnesses it has one of the highest like suicide rates because it's it's so 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 crippling
1: and it's one of the hardest to treat too yeah I mean, we are a dual diagnosis facility at aloe house so we deal with mental health and addiction and we don't deal specifically with eating disorder because yeah. you need to go to a place that specializes in ed i agree it's very it's very it's a very hard thing to overcome
0: but yeah i just like coming back into that numbing out like we're we're so used to it we're so used to just like talking about alcohol like it's funny and and it Mm -hmm. can be it can be like a joyous thing for like for most people it's not an issue But there are people out there who are drinking to survive motherhood, and that's not a joke anymore. Like that's not really something to laugh at, and it's something I've kind of like tried to stop doing so much of. Like, and I've totally done it too. Where like, oh, it's been a long day. Like, Mama needs some wine. And understanding now that there's like really people who are drinking because they don't they don't know how to get through that day.
1: There are women in my community that start drinking at three o'clock at playdates together. I mean, like, we need to be having. And for some people, that might be
0: okay. for others that's like literally survival
1: yeah i i I would what my argument would be is this that like
0: i guess not okay i I I mean more like it's not a problem for a lot of people it's not a problem
1: yeah i think that um we live in a time that is so chaotic Mm-hmm. and so painful and, and it's not that it hasn't been before it's just that we're so hyper aware of it now yeah for I agree. many of us and so it's no um shock to me why we're seeing addiction rates skyrocket are they are they yeah. truly skyrocketing mm-hmm. yeah oh wow i didn't even know the that The amount of deaths go it goes up every single year and it's not plateauing it's not slowing down and we need to begin to have these really tough conversations about why we all need to check out. I would argue that um, most people are addicted to something. Okay. And that everybody knows someone that's addicted to something. Like, I'm just literally thinking of so whether I'm addicted whether to. It's, but whether it's working out. I, yep. I'm not saying everybody. I'm no, saying no, no. most people. Most people. Whether yeah. it's working out, Instagram, yep. sexting, yep. online poker, um. What, it, could be, it doesn't whatever, necessarily look like a drug. It doesn't necessarily look like a drug addiction. Right. I'm talking about checking out. Mm. And that's okay. I mean, I also believe that nep- coming home and turning on Netflix can be self-care.
0: Oh, totally. Yes. And I think it's one of those things like sometimes you don't have the space and the capacity to, to do anymore, To do the digesting yeah. of the day. Yeah. And that's totally fair. Like I'm one of those people too. I think for me coming out of just suppressive thinking has been like, yeah, some t- just listening and being like, today is the day that I can't do can't anymore. Do and this is okay. enough for me. But then it's more like, I know especially in my marriage now because I'm – well, like mostly remarried, like newly remarried, but having tough conversations Mm -hmm. or be willing to fight. I I, I have my fight back to me. I found my voice again because I'm no longer just taking everything that's going on and just trying to make other people happy. I'm really willing to deal with what's going on right in front of me because I truly believe that and, and I don't mean like arguing, I just mean like open conversation, like even just saying like, I'm actually having a really hard day today and my anxiety is really bad. That's something like 10 years ago, I never could have said out loud that I never could have acknowledged without shame or without feeling like I needed to please the other people in the room. Even as simple as I can't go out tonight and see my friends or have dinner with you because I'm just, I'm just having a day and yeah. I need to stay home and I need to... Put on friends and go to bed mm-hmm. and you know like whatever it is just like i think it comes down to like this mindfulness of Am I checking out because it's like really good self-care, like you said, or am I checking out because I'm avoiding dealing? Avoiding it.
1: This is called reparenting. I talk about this a lot. Reparenting. Reparenting. Tell me about reparenting. So many of us weren't given tools to deal with our emotions. Instead, we were like spanked and told to shut up, basically, like stop crying. And if you don't stop or if you throw that, like all of these um, things that children do, acting out for attention, or they have really big emotions. So maybe we were spanked. Maybe we were told to stop being a crybaby or a sissy. Or you know, I can't deal with you right now, or whatever it might be. We were told sublim sub. Oh my lord, help yeah. me subliminally um, that our feelings weren't okay, and we weren't yeah. actually. How many parents sit down with their kids and go? wow, I can tell you're really frustrated right now. Can you tell me about why? And actually go through yeah, and talk about what can we do? It's so true. My how mom works in childcare,
0: and she does that exact yes. thing. And it's so interesting because I'm always like, I'm just such a quick, I, I didn't realize until I was an adult and had children how bad I was at like, emotional dealings mm-hmm. but I listen to my mom and she does the exact same thing as what you're saying right now she'll be like I hear what you're saying yeah you're right I can I, I know you're scared I know yeah. you're feeling that I know you're frustrated you're frustrated aren't you yeah and it was just like sometimes, wait wow like not
1: even put it, I try even with my kids to say like what are you feeling right now instead mm-hmm. of putting it in their mouths, like t- yeah. saying what they're feeling when they were very little, I would give them the emotional name and then giving tools on how to deal with that. And so there are moments when I would encourage us to start learning more about how there's Mike, my sound guy with donuts. Literally just Mike, bring are... me the donuts. I'm ready for the donuts, Mike. Uh, we're just, we're, we're here that's... talking about self-care. This is my fourth hour of podcast recording and I'm ready for the donuts. Thank some you so self-care, much. self-care, honey. Oh my God i'm sorry none of them are gluten-free that's okay you can just stomach ache that's okay you do your thing girl oh my god (laughs) okay so um as i'm gonna eat a bite oh my god of this apple fritter so we're talking about and this is so obnoxious you guys but i'm so hungry um reparenting learning how to deal with our emotions it's also okay to say sadness I acknowledge you and I'm going to come back to you later.
0: That is like my favorite because I always tell everyone whenever they're struggling with like emotional stuff or feeling like they've suppressed their feelings Mm -hmm. over such a long amount of time. I'm like, just go watch the movie inside out. Like Mm -hmm. go and watch it. Apparently they're using it in in recovery facilities now too, to help people understand that like it's okay to have feelings and sadness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm -mm. Sometimes it's helping you journey through something to the other side. Um, but that's kind of the one thing that I find really cool about your story is like you took what you're doing and now you have these mental health facilities. How have you found it um, dealing and working in mental health while honoring your own? Because mm. I don't know about you, but I'm an empath. So, so it can hard. be hard. It so can hard. be hard when you're talking and helping mm-hmm. people. And now you have all these like ment- your husband works in this as well. Yeah. So you He's guys are more these-
1: resilient than I am.
0: But it, it, I can imagine that it can be really difficult when you've taken your experience and you've put it into this space where, you're like, I'm going to talk about this and we're going to do these things. We're going to have these hard conversations because I know they're going to help people. But then you're taking that on. Yeah. Like, by the way, that feel. was an
1: apple fritter, you guys. It was. I wish heaven- I had taken
0: a picture of that. That was, it was so funny. It was heavenly. Also, like, just to backtrack a little, our very first podcast ever, you literally answered the phone. You're like, I'm eating a waffle right now. <laughs>
1: that's so great i was yeah, oh were, my god hungry then oh too. my god i'm You're always just- hungry <laughs> when i'm not hungry i'm always hungry um okay so taking care of yourself jesus i have a hair that's in my face okay so taking care of yourself while helping others especially as an empath obviously super hard um what i realized is that there's seasons of my life where i'm better at it and when i can do more and Mm -hmm. um so a little backtrack about aloe house aloe house was acadia malibu we started as a sober living um kind of my husband and i are kind of like we're very rebellious like we're anti the system and we would see all these treatment centers in malibu that were really heavily 12-step based and really ultimately shaming and mm-hmm. um, shame inducing. Even though they weren't using that language, it was more like you need a sponsor to basically tell you what to do with your life for the next however many years. And people would rely on their sponsors so much. And um, while having a sponsor is great and going to A is great, I no longer partake. I did for many years. What I found and I it did save my life in the beginning, so I'm grateful for sure. it. But um, I evolved out of that what we found and we offer 12-step here people want to go do 12-step great or smart recovery or refuge recovery which is buddhist 12-step basically okay they're open what we realized was that the so that that the the reason why there was so much addiction and dr gabmor mate says this i love him if you're into addiction or healing or whatever his book in the realm of the hungry ghost will change your life even if you're not it's a great book um he says it's not why all the addiction it's why all the pain and Mm -hmm. so at the heart of addiction is trauma the solution to trauma is connection and so we developed a a treatment center where our slogan is connection not control and I honestly cannot take much credit for this other than like I was along for the journey my husband was starting this as we began dating and I've been a part of it obviously I feel like it's part my baby too because um, I've you know I've I When we didn't have overnight staff way back in the day, I was eight months pregnant sleeping over at the house with him, making sure nobody got loaded. Like wow, we've been here throwing our hearts and souls into this for a long time. Him much more so than I have um, and his business partner, Jared, and our co-founder, Bob Forrest. And they've been doing amazing work. Um, I do weird things. So obviously meditation is key and Mm -hmm. journaling and all of those things I do for my own mental health but um, I really believe in energy Okay, so, tell me about this. And I believe in our chakra system. Okay. And this might be I've a I've only just
0: bit, learned a little bit about that. This might little woo-woo for maybe, people. Maybe, that's okay. People can learn. You can you take what, what you want <laughs> and leave the rest. That's, uh, you know what? That is so key because I think a lot of times when we're like, oh, that's just not for me and we just shut mm-hmm. off. But what I always like to remind people is even if this isn't you, there might be somebody else that is like yeah. leaning into this and it's really great to know how to support them or just to understand. Yeah. So, so it can be really for cool. For me
1: who's really sensitive, I... I first do a meditation where I surround myself with white light, which is protective. What's white light? Like white, like just imagine from like the heavens coming down. Oh, okay. Like it's not actually like a coming, white light no, that you, oh, it's no, just like a metaphorical coming thing. coming over me and like providing like protection. I've had really intense groups. I run women's groups here at the the center and I've had some groups where I left and was like physically shaking and felt nauseous wow. because the energy and the intensity of the emotion was so strong. And then I imagine a zipper from my pelvic floor up to the top of my head, which is kind of like our energy zone, right? Okay. Like our sacrum, our sacral chakra kind of like runs everything else in our body are all of our nerves in our body down our spine attached into the sacrum and so our nervous system is literally flowing from our sacrum to our brain and so I imagine like a big zipper and before I go into groups I imagine just like zipping up all the way up to the top and protecting my entire like energy field so that's that's what I do. Wow, girl! <laughs> I'm and like I can't practice. even
0: meditate without like thinking about. This is literally every single time everyone's <laughs> like, "You really need to meditate." Even my naturopaths like, "You really need to meditate," and I do it, and all I think about is, "I wonder what it's like for people to clear their mind." And like, me- so I have I have a friend, simply Sadie Jean. She has like really good meditation stuff, and I like mm-hmm. do hers because like I know her, and I feel like she's talking me through it. Yeah. But I've learned that I can't just do like the clear your mind no, stuff. Not in the so
1: beginning. no, you do guided meditations. Oh in the my. 100% So
0: yeah, just learned that But yeah, mm-hmm. it's been really cool It's been really cool I like the whole like feeling grounded thing I like just not waking up And starting my Dulling. day with like yeah just Mm -hmm. straight going it's been really good to kind of like teach myself to take a moment and yeah ground myself and not just be like turning on my phone and looking at it but just actually taking a moment for me and for my heart and mind and and going forward in the day with that so that's really cool that you do that so how did you and your husband meet?
1: Let me finish my bite of donut yeah (laughs) um (laughs) you're too much I love this um you know, Brene Brown was just on Russell Brand's podcast, who I Was she love. really? Yeah, and he ate a banana in the middle of it, and you can, like, hear him talking oh with bananas banana in his mouth, gosh. and it really made my life, because it's like, we're all fucking human, yeah. okay? <laughs> we all need sugar sometimes to get us through the day. My naturopath is going to kill me for yeah. eating that donut when <laughs> she listens to this podcast. I'm on a very strict dietary regimen right now trying to get rid of all the inflammation in my body and I'm like
0: oh my gosh oh my god my I'm so so inflamed
1: it's insane it's
0: so hard when you're coming out of like restrictive eating for like calories and weight loss Mm -hmm. and stuff but coming into like I actually need
1: to do this for my health
0: yeah now I'm in this whole like I need to be intentional about what I'm Mm -hmm. eating because I kept eating protein bars to live my life and wasn't actually getting like my body's needs right and
1: was your IBS so bad when you ate all the protein bars mine is
0: so mine I went from my whole, well, like my whole adolescence to adult. I was IBSD, so had really bad diarrhea all the time okay, from I eating. constipation. I am constipation. Then I went IBSC, mm-hmm. and that was like inflammation of everything. So mm-hmm. I would go like nine days without going to the yep. bathroom. Mm-hmm. It was like so painful. Story of my life cut out... Let's talk about poop, people. Yeah. yeah sorry about... <laughs> sorry. Just forget that question about meeting your husband. <laughs> no, but then I, I got told by my doctor, actually, to cut out gluten and dairy just to see if either of them were triggering it. And near immediately, I stopped Ugh, being constipated. So, well, and this is the thing, too, is that it's such a long road to go down that when you eliminate something to see if you feel better because it can take like weeks. And like now I'm like, I can eat. So two weeks ago, I got like a bowl, like a, a vegan uh, poke bowl. And it said it was on like a, a brown rice blend. So I assumed it was rice blend. And as I'm eating it, I'm noticing that there was grains that were farro. Mm. And I was like, no. no. And so, of course, like within a few days, but also I was traveling. So, you have travel guts. So, like constipation wasn't like out of the picture.
1: I love that travel but guide. Like, That's
0: so real. But like literally, you can't really even see it's getting better now. I get like a full, so rash. I'm one of like the 10% of people who deal with like gluten intolerance and celiac who get like a blistering rash mm-hmm. on their body. It was two weeks ago that I had that gluten. I can tell you exactly the day that the happened days. and the meal that it happened, yeah. but it's two weeks later that it's showing up in my skin or in my gut, right? So it's yeah. it's really funny how it can be hard to do to figure out your own health and stuff like that. So yeah, your naturopath is going to be pissed because
1: But here's the I've gone six You're months guessing. straight paleo really? AIP. Yep. What's Which is AIP? like autoimmune protocol. Okay, okay. Like it's even stricter than paleo. Oh, wow. And. No difference. Yeah. So, um, so going it's on. just brutal and we're trying to figure it out. But on out of my bowels, okay? Out What's, of my <laughs> bowels. Out and of, into uh, your heart. Out of my bowels and into my heart. I met my husband in <laughs> AA. I don't necessarily recommend that for everybody. It worked really well for us. Eight months later, we were married. We've been married for seven years. We're madly in love. Don't get me wrong, it's fucking chaotic. It's like That must cra- be hard. I mean two addicts. No it's not is it relatable then is it not it is no I mean because here's the thing we don't think on a regular basis like oh you're sober oh you're sober we're both on a path of continued spiritual growth and it works out because we are both willing to do the work
0: now let me ask you this because I know a lot of people are often dealing with being the partner to Mm. somebody who is sober or struggling with addiction I know it is all, not everybody even seeks help so for a lot of people you might be in a relationship where you know your significant other it's is struggling with something and that can be hard mm-hmm. what would you recommend to people who are in that support role but also like in a, like emotionally invested in that person that can be really hard because i've heard advice. i i've heard advice all over the maps and like just a disclaimer guys we are not professionals we needed to disclaim that on alexis too like we're not
1: professionals <laughs> we're life
0: experiencers so yeah uh, i mean Whatever I technically here, am a drug so like, and
1: alcohol counselor, but like, okay, don't take my advice like if you really need help, go to a doctor. Right.
0: But like some people will talk about how the best thing that they could have done for their significant other was uh, or like I was, had a friend who was talking about her sister and she said, the one thing that I, I did right during her recovery was I didn't look at her like an addict. I looked at her and I loved her like my sister. Even if mm. I walked in and saw her with a needle in her arm, And that's I continued connection. to treat her like yep. a human being. But I don't know how that works when you're married to somebody who is drinking alcohol and slipping away from you and getting angry and starting to lash out. Like there's that, that's such a, it sounds like it's not that common, but I get a lot of no, stories. And I know a lot of people who are going through it.
1: It's very it's common. common alcoholism is how so to, common now. It is, yeah. and you
0: don't know how. I don't. I don't even know how. How would you help somebody when you love them so much? You don't. You want to love them through this. You don't want to see them for their alcoholism, but it's really
1: affecting you. It's really yeah. affecting your marriage. How How can you be a support? Well, marriage is different than a sibling, and it's different than a child. Um, so first and foremost, you have to keep yourself safe. If there's ever a risk of your safety, you need to leave and get out of that situation immediately. It's really important. It's really important. Um, the next thing that I would say is, um, I believe that, um, Al-Anon is great for partners who are married to alcoholics. Al-Anon is for, um, like support. Spouses. For the f- it's okay. for codependency and okay. spouses. Um... I don't believe it's great for parents of mm. addicted children. And I don't necessarily believe it's great for siblings. Um, I can tell you my experience. My sister test continued to use for another two years after okay. I got sober. And it was okay. brutal. Yeah. Um, and I kept p- picking her up, saving the day in mm-hmm. quotes. And, uh, you know, I want people to know I'm sarcastic because I was actually making things worse. And sending her off to treatment, Um over and over and over again. And I remember I called Bob Forrest, in, um, who's a co founder here, and he also created that show, Celebrity Rehab. Dr. Oh, drew. yeah. I used and to I watch said, that. And I said, My sister's dying. She's on the streets. She's mm-hmm. doing all these crazy drugs, and I need help immediately. We're going to, I had someone that was like an ex SWAT team member. I was like, We're going to go and get her from this like junkie's house, and da da da. And Evan's like, And then Bob's like, No, you're not. You're not going to do that. He goes, I will no longer sit by and watch you continue to do this to her. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm trying to help her. I'm like trying help. I'm trying yeah. to help. And he goes, you know why you used? Cause you were in an immense amount of pain. Mm. And he goes, do you think that being there for someone in that way, like where you're only happy when they're sober and behaving the way you want them to be is healthy and helpful. And I said, well, like, guess you're right no it's not and so I asked Tess to come to breakfast with me one morning and I was super pregnant and she was an hour late and I could feel my resentment boiling up because you know I was like pissed like how dare she be this late And I'm just sitting here waiting and all this mm-hmm. stuff you know all the crap and um she walked in and I've never seen anything like it and my heart broke and I instantly started crying <sighs> And we held each other for an hour and just cried. Oh my gosh. And that day I made an amends. Yeah. And I just said, she I'm was sorry your sister for trying again. to change you yeah. and make you someone that you're not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the pain is. Um, but I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. And if you want to go to treatment today, great. And if you don't, let's grab coffee again. Yeah. You know? And so I had to protect myself. I, would not give her money, I wouldn't give her yeah. a cell phone, I wouldn't give her, you know, I I had to cut her off um in that way. Um but I f- I think that was the first time that she ever heard someone say i accept you just as you are. Mm. And I love you just as you are. 2 weeks later she got sober. Wow.
0: And is she still sober today? Yeah.
1: So it's almost like she just needed to hear that she was like loved and cared about like despite her addiction despite you know what I mean that like I could see that beautiful child inside Mm -hmm. of her that I have loved my entire life and so I think it's really hard you know what's weird is that so a couple years into my sobriety my mom and I had this full-blown meltdown it lasted for months and months she finally kind of came to and realized what a horrible parent she had been and like it was like the waves came crashing in and she was drowning and didn't know how to get her way out well she got her way out and she ended up going to school to do counseling and coaching and all this stuff. And she runs an amazing group, you guys. If you're local to the Los Angeles area, it is at our treatment center in Malibu. Um, and it's called Families United for Recovery. And you can join that group every Wednesday night. And then she has a free Zoom call that you can wow. join on Tuesdays where you can get your your questions answered. So instead of the old traditional Al-Anon meeting, which is like cut people off, mm-hmm. cut your codependency off, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. This is a way of using love, leverage, and connection to be your loved one's best shot at recovery. And she's really good at what she does, which is an amazing thing. I don't have all of the answers. Obviously, every situation is so different. So different. But, um, shame inducing, Mm -hmm. I have a friend right now who's really going through it with her husband and she, um, was basically, you know, she said to him the other day, like, um, you know, this was, this was your last chance and this is your consequence. Yeah. And. Which sounds like it would be an okay thing to say, but. (sighs) But when you're actually thinking about the attitudes of so much pain and you're saying, here's your consequence for your behavior. As if addiction is just a behavioral issue Mm -hmm. and it's not. It's so much more complex than that.
0: I find it so fascinating sitting here because over the last like several years of my life, even on like surface things, I've learned to like stop judging people, stop judging when they're like, Going through hard times in their life. Stop judging them when they're going through a divorce, or you know, even even in terms of like this is a hard one, but like extramarital affairs. Understanding that like That's things brutal. are, yeah. life is hard, and life like hits people, and yeah. you don't know what cause those things and you don't know what's going on but when you talk about addiction and I'm not saying I condone any or all of those things at all I'm saying basically like seeing people for their humanity Mm -hmm. and not seeing them for you know the things that they've done I think has been really really important for me going forward but um when you talk about addiction, it is so, so easy to see people just for like their substance abuse. And when we sit here and we talk about it and you're like, yeah, the root of all, basically all the, you addiction know, because had is, I not been, is pain.
1: Yeah, I had my parents not divorced and I grew up in a normal household and I didn't, wasn't like basically being raped at four years old and right. all of the things that, transpired throughout my childhood. Like I probably would have been like a very normal person that didn't have like anxiety and depression and Mm -hmm. PTSD and all of these things. Um, you know, but then my message wouldn't be that like we do recover.
0: We do recover. We are. you know what I mean?
1: It's like, I'm grateful in a very weird way. Um, for what this lifetime has gifted to me and it didn't always used to be that way
0: yeah it's incredible i think our 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 life story is is so beautiful when we choose to allow it to kind of like move. Yeah, like you talked about, like leaning into stuff and like really allowing it to move us, allow it to like bring us yeah. to a better place. You know, bad things happen and stuff happens. And I think that what's been really important and what I'm really learning today is like, you know what, I've never done drugs. I don't really have substance abuse issues at all. But I can guarantee you, everybody listening knows at least one person, whether they know it or not, who is yeah. struggling. This or is not- in their
1: lifetime yeah, at some point or another. It is a
0: growing stat. It is a growing issue and we need to go back to humanity about it and stop looking at this as like, just like this how do we you know even just in my hometown there's a lot of debate over um, safe injection sites and stuff mm. and understanding that they're just trying to give these people respect and safety they're not condoning their addiction they're just trying to help them from dying yeah. and it, it's been so interesting to see the judgment and the conversations that come out of it and the people who are willing to fight just to give these people respect yeah. again and well, i they think have that's safe, so
1: they have the safe injection sites in vancouver and you know who fought to keep them there? The addicts. They went to the city council and they petitioned for months.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: And they like revolted against the government and eventually they went through with it in, in BC.
0: I've heard a lot of stories of like people because they have the safe injection sites and because they're treated with respect, they're able to go through their journeys a lot better into getting sober as opposed to just, yeah, being, being only allowed to do it when they're in like a a situation where they're just being a junkie and just doing it on the street and they can do it in a controlled environment. And, you know, I don't, I don't have the answers. It's something I really don't even know about, but it's something I think it's important for us to learn and understand moving forward. And I think that that's kind of what you've done for me, even just in the short time of following you, you've kind of brought a lot of like addiction conversation to the forefront, to a place where I'm now mentally aware of it. And I'm more full of it and it's treating me to be it's it's just honestly teaching me to be a better human and a better support to people who are Mm -hmm. kind of dealing with that so that's why I'm honestly like I'm pretty excited that we're doing this today I know we didn't plan this at all and I just want to kind of like wrap it up and just let people have a chance to get to know you. We, we would have to do five episodes to kind of unfold <laughs> everything going on here. There's a lot of other layers to her. Like she, you're a birth doula too. I said I'm birth also, weird. I'm you're, also you're, a birth doula. Yeah, like she yeah. does a lot of freaking things. <laughs> um, please tell everyone where we can find you.
1: Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram if you just want to be my friend. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi. Um, <laughs> at it's Alexis Haynes. That's H-A-I-N-E-S. And, um, you know, not every one of my posts is motivational. Sometimes I just think I look hot. So whatever. Whatever. You are hot. I'm having a hot girl summer. You're having a hot girl summer. (laughs) She
0: is. Her donut in hand. Most of
1: them, though, have, you know, like little tidbits about things that I've learned or whatever. And then you can follow Recovering From Reality on Instagram or you can go to my website, recoveringfromreality.com. Listen to that podcast. And um, you can see the evolution of my podcast. I was talking to Sarah earlier about how in the beginning of my podcast, I was so bad at it. Oh, my God. It was like cringeworthy when I think about it. But you can listen to the progression. I hope I'm getting better. I mean, I think I am. I get really good feedback and my numbers are good. So I think you're doing great. just going to keep doing great. We're just, just going gr- to keep, you know. Like it's my life model. It's down the my road. first
0: episode I said. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. But we're doing it anyway. We're just doing it. Because
1: the conversations that we're having are important. They and are. I feel um, that, you know, this, this is where it's at. The time is now. The t- there's no longer like, oh, we'll wake up in another 10 years. You know, we we mm-hmm. got to pull our heads out of the sand, out, out of our phone. You know, yeah. I would say in this day and age. And um, and build communities around love and respect and authenticity and vulnerability. So
0: I love you for it. And she's got a book coming out this year, too. December 3rd. Keep an eye on this girl. She's (laughs) she's doing some really remarkable stuff and she's doing it in such a lack of shame, like a non shameful way, (laughs) lack of shame inducing, whatever. She's doing (laughs) a lot of great things.
1: We have challenging conversations and it's like, Here's the great thing is like you can you can disagree with me. That's fine, too. We're, I'm finishing my donut right now because it's an apple fritter and it's freaking amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, this isn't about shame. I'm like anti-shame. I'm all about like let's have these real challenging conversations in a loving and respectful way amen amen
0: guys thank you so much for tuning in uh until next week that was a doozy I girl. have to say
1: and so it is
0: and so it is <laughs> well friends thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode for more information on this episode check out the show notes or find us on instagram at the papaya podcast and if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would please share it simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your instagram stories and don't forget to tag us Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.